and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me is a very special guest, an artist, illustrator, and letterer for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, owner of the great former store Shellback Comics, and someone who has been involved with the Turtles from almost the very beginning. Steve Levine, welcome. Hey, how you doing? Doing good. This is exciting. Very much so. I mean, you made me sound very exciting. I, I, I was I was excited to see who you were going to mention, and then it was me. So, <laughs> uh, very, very exciting. Your, uh, your store was always one of uh, my favorite stops on the way back and forth from, you know, here in Massachusetts up to Maine. The uh, the great Shellback Comics, which unfortunately is just closed. Well, it closed uh, the brick-and-mortar part of it, but, um, yeah, no, Shellback, we're, we're, we're going to keep Shellback Comics up in... Uh, up and running online, uh, you know, I've, I've had a uh, Facebook page, which has been such a, a great thing for the shop. It uh, it really connected with all the fans and allowed them to connect with the shop. And so it, that in, in that aspect, we're going to keep that going. And and uh, I loved having having the shop. But um, uh, one other thing that has has uh, allowed me to do is do a little more Comic Con. So we've been. Me and my wife Dee have been uh, out doing a lot of those and uh, and meeting a lot of fans that couldn't make it to Shellback. Which uh, even though it's been closed for just a short time, we've I think been to three cons and talked to people that you know wanted to make it there, but just too far for them to travel. So that's a neat thing for us is to be able to do that again. Yeah, that's great. So you were recently in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, we were in Tulsa. Then uh, just before that, we were in South Carolina, and uh, this past weekend we were in Albany and. Not this coming weekend, but the weekend after, we're going to be at Rhode Island, which uh, I'm excited. That that's a, that that con seems to be growing really, really uh, big, and uh, I know that Kevin's going to Kevin Eastman will be there, and hoping to get a little bit of time with the boy. We don't see each other since he's out on the other coast that often, and uh, you know, it's something I can look forward to seeing him and Courtney, and maybe maybe we can get a bite to eat together. You never know. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah. I, know, I know you're still pretty close with uh, Peter Laird as well, the uh, the other creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He, he, Pete, yeah, Pete, <laughs> Pete's been a great supporter of uh, of Shellback. He, uh, uh, you know, even the last day we were open was literally, we called it a, a sign-off. We had another gentleman, Ben Bishop, who is a, a very talented artist uh, from Maine as well, and mm-hmm. uh, he's done some turtle work. But yeah, Pete has been, uh, uh, you know, a great supporter. Uh, you know, I was even... We were counting, and I think uh, you know I've been open for four years, and I think he's done seven signings there. Oh wow, it's crazy! That's you know four free comic book days, and then we had some other you know an opening event with him, and then uh, a couple other events with the, the other guys from Mirage, which was a lot of fun. So yeah, it's been a little crazy, and, and, and such a great supporter of the of the shop. I can't thank that man enough. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and now he's he's still up in Maine, right? Well, Pete is in Western Mass, where okay. we were kind of, that was home base. He's not right in Northampton, that's where the Ian Mirage Studios is, but um, he's a uh, originally from North Adams, Mass, so he's out in Western Mass, he's got his a house out there, and uh, he did recently buy a house uh, in Kittery, kind of a really nice, uh, quiet place out on Kittery Point, and him and his wife and his daughter get up as often as they can. Uh, I don't see him as much. I know they're, they're, uh, his wife, Janine, and his daughter are up here quite a bit. Um, and I give Pete a hard time, you know, that he doesn't come up every time they do. But uh, <laughs> he's always been great. When he does come up, uh, 
he would always stick his head in the door and just hang out at the shop for a little while and visit. So um, I think that always was a thrill for somebody who might know him and uh, happen to be in the shop and have Pete kind of come walking in and oh, yeah. willing to sign stuff, which was always a, a bonus for anybody who happened to be in the shop. I used to laugh when uh, he would come in and for some reason it was just a very slow day and he might be there for an hour, an hour and a half, and we would see a soul, and I would just kind of chuckle afterwards, take a picture, and post it on the Facebook page that, um, hey, too bad nobody came in, you know, for later in the afternoon to visit. Pete was here, so, <laughs> yeah, you always get, to, oh, I was going to come in that day, but, oh, I couldn't make it, so, uh, oh, man. <laughs> You know, growing up, I was thinking about this, you know, with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is just this pop culture powerhouse. It continues to be uh, just growing up with it, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s. I never knew until much later that they got their start here in New England. It was very much local to me and I, I had no clue. Yeah, I mean, just about almost everybody in the studio other than probably two guys are basically from the New England area. I mean, Kevin and I are, actually went to high school together in Westbrook, Maine, um, you know, Pete, like we mentioned, is from North Adams, Mass. Jim Lawson's from Connecticut. Yeah, uh, Ryan Brown was from Ohio, but Steve Murphy, who later joined the studio, I believe, was a Western Mass boy as well. So you know uh, Kevin Eastman from way back in uh, in high school. I, I've known him longer than uh, yeah, yeah, than, than a lot of folks. Yeah, yeah, we've we've known each other since high school. So yeah, we we've uh, and then we shared apartments together before we were you know both married and stuff. So. Yeah, we spent a lot of time here. Mirage Studios was, uh, when I first joined, was right around book three in in my apartment, well, mine and Kevin's apartment. My bedroom was uh, where the copier and the desk was that was considered to be the office of Mirage Studios. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, yeah, I've been there for a long time and, again, known Kevin for, for even longer. That's great. Now, I, there's a there's an awesome documentary that, that was made called uh, Turtle Power, The Definitive History of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles by uh, Randall Lobb. I encourage everyone to go out and uh, find that. It gives a great timeline of the turtles. Uh, it starts even with Kevin Eastman reaching out to Peter Laird uh, from finding a, a scat magazine on a bus, and that just kind of started everything. It goes all the way until present day with their incarnations on Nickelodeon and I think even the Michael Bay films, everything in between. And uh, so, yeah, it starts off with with Mirage being formed and uh, how the Turtles came about just kind of on an idea that uh, Kevin had in November 1983. So Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one came out in May 1984 and Mirage kind of... uh, began from there with a, a real office after, once they started to uh, go for more and more printing. So what issue did you start with them? Well, I was there uh, actually counting issue three in what was Pete and Janine's uh, house. They lived in a different house, of course, than me and Kevin did. <laughs> uh, but that was like kind of the first uh, week I think I was there. That book came out. So at that time, we'd get the books from the printers and we would you know, not to be shorted a certain number of books because they were all shipped out again to come from there. Uh, Kevin and Pete and then I would uh, count all the books just to make sure the numbers were correct. And that was kind of my first memory doing anything that involved the Green Guys. And then um, my actual uh, work on the books was issue five was the first book I lettered. Mm -hmm. Um, That was kind of thrown at me as the 
what what Kevin mentioned I could do for the for them initially was to become a letterer because he was lettering the books and yeah, he wasn't digging it. I don't think it was just adding adding something that he didn't love to do. So <laughs> he tossed a letter guide and a ruler and showed me the basics and told me to practice. So I practiced and uh, yeah, I, I honestly think anybody could have gotten that. But it was something that was very cool. So you didn't have any previous experience working on uh, lettering or anything no, like that? No, not at all. No, uh, actually, you know, I mean, even in high school, my I, I wanted to do animation, you know, so I probably was leaning more towards uh, Warner Brothers, and I loved, you know, of course, Mad Magazine and that, that kind of goofy stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. and Kevin was always more of a comic book guy. So, uh, no, I had no real working knowledge of that type of stuff. So from, you know, learning to just do the basic lettering and word balloons to then taking over, you know, doing sound effects and different things was that was the kind of creative outlet I got was to kind of make the sound effects a little more interesting I guess and uh, and learn learn that and then uh, you know from there it was kind of graphic novels and stuff so that was uh, my first thing was yeah book five which sounds crazy such a long time ago yeah that's great though and I'm sure the uh, the Don Martin reading experience helped with the sound effects oh it, very much so I mean that that is yeah I mean that, uh, boy some of my high school art had uh, so much Don Martin floppy feet and you know feet and droopy nose, and then I realized I can't really just steal a style. You have to come up with your own. But uh, yeah, oh, he was a major influence on on what I you know really wanted to do. So it was kind of fun to do the sound effects. Yeah, it, it was still hey, what a, what a wonderful uh, opportunity that I was given just to uh, you know just do the lettering initially, and you know it, it was just fun. You know, three guys really just kind of. Hoping to get enough to buy some dinner for the next day. I was actually working a part-time job a good portion of the time and doing whatever Kevin and P didn't want to do. You know, hey, <laughs> <laughs> which was which was more than fine to me. You know, uh, it, it was a it was a good it was such a you know gamble and boy, you really paid off. And it looked like a lot of fun just seeing the the footage that uh, is included in the documentary. Uh, it, Jim Lawson described it as being like a family, and it, it really looked like that. It looked like a lot of family outings, going, uh, you know, playing sports and uh, <laughs> ping pong and all all kinds of stuff. Very much so. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that that's that's true, and I think that's what reflected in the characters a lot was a lot of that dynamic that you know we we were. I mean, we like just like brothers, you know, we argue and fight and hug and fight and hug and you know it was just um you know what family does you know you kind of forget and forgive and move move forward and you know sometimes you you're you get a little there's somebody that will step in the middle and remind two of you that you know you're both being idiots you know that type <laughs> of stuff so it, it was really had that had that kind of a feel which is um which is rare you know i mean mm. we 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 had such a good group of guys and uh and to get them all together at the same time is a rarity. You know, we're uh, we're all young enough and all, you know, in a place in life where we could all kind of travel and do a lot of the stuff together, which was also a blessing and a curse, you know, because uh, you get all these different uh, people and everybody wants to eat something different and we all travel in a group. And uh, it took many, many years until we realized, you know what, I'm going to go here, you guys go there, and you go there, and we'll all meet here afterwards, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but, uh, you know, that was, I think, one of the worst things that we ever ever had to fight over was where we were going for dinner during cons because we were such a large group. And if one person didn't take the lead, then we were all <laughs> trying to figure out who was going to take the lead. And that's a long 
family type of story right there. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when covering around this time and kind of like the Ninja Turtles history, there, there's a very interesting moment in the documentary that I, I think needs to be brought up. Uh, Kevin Eastman mentions that you know, they begin working on these subsequent issues, and these characters started to develop personalities over time. You know, the with the Turtles, Raphael was loosely based on Kevin. He said Donatello was loosely based on Peter. And Kevin mentions that a lot of Michelangelo was based on you. Yeah, yeah I, I, you know, it's, it's an odd thing to hear. I, I had kind of heard it through the grapevine, you know, from fans and stuff, you know, maybe an interview that I didn't read that Kevin had done, and I know he had done an interview um, that I had read that he kind of mentioned it, but yeah, it was kind of, it was interesting to hear, but also very nice, because I, you know, I think that it's, uh, it's true, there's a little bit of everybody, in a lot, you know, a lot of the characters, and uh, and I think some of the goofy crap that we would say to each other instantly popped into the books, you know, and yeah. And so, yeah, I think personalities got got slapped onto different characters, and more than proud, uh, Michelangelo as the character that uh, my personality got slapped into. <laughs> so, uh, so the turtles reached like a really pivotal moment too when uh, Eastman and Laird agreed to expand the franchise and license out the turtles, and especially for a wide variety of ages. You know, growing up, I didn't know that that was kind of geared towards, you know, older people. I always thought that this was just a, a thing for everybody, but that, that came about until after the, the toy deal and the, the cartoon. And uh, there was a, a great moment in the uh, documentary where we see all you guys celebrating when you that big toy deal was struck. What, what was that like? That was very funny. And it's so funny, like, uh, that was mine and Kevin's apartment that we were celebrating in. That was our, our kitchen. It was, it was very, very... Uh, even, of course, surreal for me, but even more for the for those two. You know, they it's their their physical characters becoming three dimensional and uh, going to be toys, and it, it was it was crazy. It was crazy, and and in that documentary, you saw when uh, they were meeting with Calderoni, and he kind of gave him the three year. This is the life show. You know, you get yeah. release, you get one good year, and then you're in the bargain bin. That's what you get to look forward to, guys. Three years. And I remember that's what we were celebrating. You know, it was like, three years, oh my God, woo! You know, it just seemed incredibly crazy to just even go to have it happening, you know? And they were talking about one week of cartoons, because at that time, a lot of the toy companies were, uh, they, they would do, a, you know, week of animation to supplement a toy line that was going to be coming out, and then, you know, keep their fingers crossed, if the cartoon caught on, maybe it would be bigger. That's exactly what happened for the turtles. There was no, you know, pre, you know, predetermined it was going to be a hit, and they were going to get another year or another week of cartoons out of it. So I know they ran it, and then they ran it again pretty quickly, and went right into production with some some new episodes because the ratings were so good, which is crazy. It was crazy to everybody, you know. Yeah. And who knew? Who knew? Thirty years later, you'd be talking to me. I know. That's it's amazing that. how enduring of a property it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's wonderful. The fan base has always been. They've always they're so supportive, and they're it, it's such a great thing after all these years to see, you know, people that you know you may have seen when they were little kids. I mean, there was one. I think everybody knows Michelle Ivy. Everyone calls her the Superman. I mean, but we've known her since she was nine years old, and <laughs> you know, it, it's crazy to us now, you know, because those people are thirty, you know, yeah. and. We're in our much older age, and um, 
you know, it, 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 it's very funny to think about that. You know, here we are looking at somebody this long, this many years later, and they still have such a fond spot for these characters that we've, you know, been playing around with for years and years and years. It's, it's, it's very cool. And the new generations now, now that Nickelodeon has kind of brought it back and still goes on. And, and they're doing such a great job. That's one thing I I feel like I'm a defender at times with, with some of the old fans uh, about the new show. They're, you know, they're, everyone's, oh, they're not my turtles. Oh, you know, and I just say, you know what, watch them and they will become your turtles because they're doing such a good job. I mean, the guys that work at, on the show at Nick, they're all, they grew up with the turtles. Mm-hmm. You know, so these are the guys that, you know, it's like letting them play in our in, in the toy box. You know, here you can play with these guys, and you know they get to you know pull out the characters they want to play with and put it into new episodes, which is and, and they're doing such a great job. It's it I like no, I sound like I work for Nick, but um, I just think they're doing a great job. To me, it's it's really uh, it's really fun to watch, and I do watch that show. I think I watched more episodes of that show than I did the entire of the original show. You know. <laughs> And Rob Paulson is back on it. He was on the original yeah, show. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, and, and plus, they've got, they've got the best voice cast, you know, uh, all the way through. I mean, one of the early episodes had Louis Black. I love Louis Black. And <laughs> here he is, you know, one of the voice actors on, on the Turtles. You know, there's tons of, of great stuff like that, which is, you know, neat to see. You know, we always had, got to say, we have Uncle Phil from the Fresh Prince, you know, too, mm-hmm. when, in the early of um, the Turtles, because he was Shredder, you know, so... Yeah. Now, just uh, speaking of that early animated series, now, when that was going on, did you guys at Mirage have any input on any uh, character designs or the direction of, of any of the art of the show? Not a whole bunch. I mean, if anybody, Kevin and Pete had some say, but even at that point, you know, I, I, I hesitate to say, but I, I think that they were probably still uh, going, yep, okay, sure, you want to do that? Yeah, 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 that sounds great. <laughs> you know, um, maybe a few years in, I think they might have had a little more script, um, you know, well, not even a few years, I'm sure, you know, fairly quickly into it, you know, because I know the first week was done and we just watched it happen. You know, I remember getting the pencil tests and we'd watch them on back then VHS and, uh, you know, see all the different uh, different levels where they'd add the sound effects and stuff. And it was just each new level just, it was like crazy, you know, like like Christmas every time you'd get a little package from the animation company to see that stuff. And, um and I think later on, you know, Kevin and Pete did definitely um, add to some of the scripts, take, you know, maybe just to prove some of the stuff, maybe, you know, work on some changes. We did later get to design characters that might end up there, but not a whole bunch. That was, a lot of it was done right at Murakami Wolf. Um, and we just kind of handled the RT books and the regular turtle books. And for me, it started turning into um, licensing art. You know, I was doing a lot of, pet, you know, stuff that was going on products so yeah so can you talk a little more about that like what kind of things you did uh, as far as licensing art uh, i can i wish i could remember it all uh <laughs> yeah me and uh, another gentleman ryan brown who was uh, my partner in crime and still is uh, i try to get him to work on stuff with me as much as possible uh we did uh, i have to say maybe 70 percent of the product art that was out there oh wow maybe, maybe higher I, I say that, you know, as probably the low end. So, yeah, I mean, pretty much right out of the gate, if it had a turtle on it, we we were the guys doing it, you know, from, you know, party goods to Band-Aids to Pez heads to video game box, stuff for Pizza Hut, Burger King, you know, Konami, just, 
you know, pretty much anything that had a turtle on it, like I said, we um, we probably drew it. And later on, I became the art director of the company. So if I wasn't drawing it, or I was approving it from somebody else who was doing it. So um, yeah, we did. We that was kind of the main gig for me and Ryan for. Oh boy, a good run of it. But at the same time, I was still doing covers on the main books. I was I was in some of those and trying to do most of the Archie covers, rather coloring or helping occasionally write a story or creating a character, doing character designs for that book. So we got to kind of mess around with a little bit of everything, which is nice, you know. And mm. and, and I think everybody did stuff that they were uncomfortable with, and then. Found out, ah, you guys guess I can do that, which is which is always a nice thing, you know. Uh, it's always nice to stumble a little bit and then finish up and and kind of step back from it and feel like, oh, I, yeah, hey, that doesn't look half bad. <laughs> um, so, and and which is nice because I mean, you know, a lot of times you get pigeonholed if you're at a comic company, you might be just an anchor, you might be just a, you know, this, you know, or just a colorist, just a letterer, just you know. I think uh, that was a nice thing at Mirage. We all got to um, try on all those different hats and learn learn a lot. Yeah, that's that's really special. It is. It is very neat that uh, you know Kevin and Pete allowed us to all to kind of play, which is nice. Doesn't happen all the time. And just uh, you mentioned those uh, the art that you've done for like Konami. I just remember seeing those paintings that you had hung up at uh, at Shellback uh, for the the Konami games with the uh, Raphael, and I think you had a Donatello one before. Yeah. Yeah, that was a surreal moment for me. Just I've seen that art, you know, just uh, on the the wall at the toy store, seeing those games, and then just a surreal moment seeing it in real life years later. Like, wow, that's pretty funny. Well, it's funny to me now is um, you know there are certain group shots that me and Ryan did for you know they're for other other things, but they've been reused, you know, on let's say backpacks and different things over over the years years ago. But now I see them so often uh, on all the retro shirts. Mm. So usually the um, 20 and 30 year olds that come in and they're turtle fans, I can literally, you know, you know, almost, almost every time point at their shirt and say, you know, I worked on that shirt right there. It wasn't a shirt when I did it, but it was the box to color forms. You know, now you, you know, it's a t-shirt, you know, it's just funny to, uh, to see that stuff still being uh, recirculate and makes you feel good, you know, because a lot of people go, this is my favorite thing. I had, you know, a backpack with this on it. So when I saw it as an adult, I couldn't wait to get that shirt. You know, I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it loves on. moment with them. And so also, you know, those Playmates toys were huge, you know, especially for me growing up, and I'm sure many, many others my age, they were everywhere. And those characters were so detailed, especially the <laughs> uh, the the legs were all different, the arms were different. Uh they were just uh, unlike any other toys you'd see on the on the shelves. Well, I think that was the, that was the cool thing about uh, 
designing them too. It was almost like an unwritten rule that you could not have matching arms or matching legs. <laughs> so, you know, one leg had to be mutated in an arm or, you know, something. So it was always kind of cool in, uh, you know, designing designing those characters. And, you know, Playmates would give us a, um, you know, they'd have a couple wish lists. They'd give us a list of, you know, creatures that they might want to mutate. And we got to kind of, you know, play with them a little bit and and put them in whatever we think that that, you know, creature may have started from and how it would get to a human form. And so <laughs> it was fun. I mean, they did a lot of the stuff themselves, but and all the sculpting was done on their end. But um, And, and I, I have to say, boy, I think at that time, you know, the small G.I. Joes and the Kenner, everything was small. Mm. You know? And that was the cool thing about, <laughs> about the Turtle Toys. I think they kind of brought the, the largest scale, because even the vehicles were big, um, compared to, you know, what would be a G.I. Joe vehicle, you know, with a turtle van to fit, you know, 50 G.I. Joes in it. Oh, yeah. So that it could fit four turtles, you know, <laughs> which I, I think that that was kind of a, a neat thing on toy shelves, too. And, and for kids, too, was everything, the Technodrome was big, the Blimp was big, you know, the sewer place fit, everything was, was to scale to the turtles, which was um, was a little larger than what was happening in the toy world at the time. So I think... That, that didn't hurt in any way to get a little more plastic and have that extra detail, like you mentioned, that you could get on them, you know, and, and even just the paint spray off. Although we did fight, I say we, only in the term, Kevin and Pete, but as a as a group hive mind of arrives, we always hated the shredder. Oh, really? Well, because they took it from a really cool drawing, and they really made him super thin, and he had purple armor. <laughs> and no shirt for some reason. His shirt disappeared from the art that Kevin and Pete had drawn, and it was it was that was that character was always just, we were always a little freaked out. And I think everybody you talked to was always wondering why he had purple armor, you know. <laughs> and I, it took years until Playmates finally agreed to do a proper shredder, which um, I got. I can't even remember when that might have been, you know, six or seven years into this line, you know before there was a shredder that looked like what I would think was the shredder, you know. <laughs> but that was the only weird one. The rest of them were just also good. You know, they did, and like I said, uh, the larger scale, I think, really um, didn't hurt them any, you know, on the shelves, that's for sure. You know, and they, the packaging was bright, and I think, again, competing with the smaller figures, and they were really, really nicely done. Yeah, very distinct. Good. Now, so you guys worked on some of the designs. Did you get to create any unique characters for the any of the toy lines? Well, we did, uh, you know, we created some that were in and some that were changed into different things. Uh, so we could, some things got hodgepodge, some things got directly in. Uh, you know, one of my characters, Sergeant Bananas, actually started out as, um, I was working with uh, Steve Murphy, who used to write the Archie and edit the Archie Turtle book. Um, uh, he uh, he had these third world war warriors, um and one of them was Nelson Mandrella. <laughs> so Sergeant Bananas actually started off as a little more aggressive-looking character and kind of protector of the rainforest. And and uh, playmates would send their sketch, and so we got we kind of got a happy hybrid. And I think Larry the Lemur got a little more third-world-looking. Who was that was the other thing playmates always would include a little. If it wasn't extra accessories, it was a little sidekick. Mm -hmm. You know that would come along, and Larry the Lemur looked a little more uh, third-world warrior than, uh, than, than Sergeant Bananas did, but it was it was still cool. That was a fun one to get in, and, um, you know, I had a character, the chameleon, that had 
a couple of artsy standalone issues and was in some other stuff, but never made it into the toy line. Was always bummed about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, you know, we've, we've had uh, Wingnut and Screwloose and some other characters that, you know, I was involved in in some way and, um, you know, did a lot of, a lot of like I said, artsy designs that, you know, we would hope that maybe, because, like I said, they get into the comic, they mm-hmm. may get a toy, but, um, you know, some of them didn't, some of them didn't. Now, from the uh, the success of, of the, the toys in the cartoon, of course, big moment for many people my age, our childhoods, is the uh, the feature film that came out in 1990. Of course, it spawned two more sequels, and now we have uh, a couple more movies. We had a CGI movie uh, currently in the, uh, the two Michael Bay films. But uh, back in, in 1990, that was such a big deal. Now, did you guys uh, have any involvement in that? Kevin and Pete, yes, definitely. Um... Uh, and us, us, other than enjoying a trip down to the movie set, you know, we got to kind of listen to stuff that was happening uh, script-wise and stuff, and Kevin and Pete would solicit opinions, not all the time, but every once a week, you know, we'd all, you know, get our two cents. So I don't, I can't say we had any big part in it other than really, like I said, getting down to the movie set, which was mind-blowingly cool because, you know, as the movie progressed, it kind of went from a, you know, really B to almost a C movie, you know, that was going to be kind of just shot in Hong Kong to, you know, getting the director, Steve Barron, who was um, very talented, uh, but had basically kind of just worked in the, you know, video world, music video world. Mm-hmm. He directed uh, Michael Jackson's Billie Jean and the AHA video that everyone loves. It's a pencil animation that comes to life. And so he, this is his first big project. So he got attached to it. And then, um, somehow, some miracle, some strings got pulled, and um, Jim Henson got involved. Um, his creature shop in the suit design. So they went from, you know, well, a cool movie to, oh my God, this is a real movie. And we, like I said, we got to go down for a week uh, to the movie set, and it just coincided with some of the shooting that Brian Henson, who is, you know, Jim's son, was mm-hmm. doing um, with Kevin Cash. And I'm name dropping now, uh, but they were uh, doing like a bunch of the splinter stuff, and there was you know some other fight scenes that that Brian was going to be involved in. So we happened to be there at the same time that uh, Jim came to see how everything was going because it is his creature shop after all. Um, so uh, one night we got to while they were filming the fight scene with Casey and Raphael, we were. Standing around, I, I think Kevin and Pete had actually met him earlier in the day, but not the rest of us, uh, you know, knuckleheads. We were kind of not involved in that meeting, but that night he came to kind of see how, how the filming was going, and uh, we got to kind of hear our voices crack, you know, kind of go like, hello, Mr. Hanson, which is exactly how we felt. It was just, you know, just felt like a bunch of little kids, you know, and... Sure. Um, Super nice guy, and I mean, what a plus major thing. Plus, you know, being on the movie set, which was incredible thing to see, you know, to see the whole process. And we, at the time, had to, you know, sign, uh, you know, non-disclaimers that we would uh, that we wouldn't say anything about what we had seen, the technology of Tenson, the creature up had, had created for the heads. Oh yeah. Was, brand new, you know, something that they didn't have to put the heads on a pedestal or on a mannequin. They could actually be on an actress so they could utilize the upper body for most of the stuff. And um, so it was, it was mind-blowingly cool. And, 
I always kind of tell this creepy part of the story, though. When when we were there, I think it was the second or third day, we were talking to some of the handsome people, and we were walking around the back lot, and there was a, a chunk of the sewer, you know, so we kind of cut through the sewer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, came around on the other side, there was a... Um, you know, like a uh, storage container that you'd see on a ship or something, and there was big fans on the back of it. And uh, and he said, "Hey, do you want to check this out?" And we're like, "What is it? What is it?" He's like, "You can, I, I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to let. I'm going to open the door. You guys can check it out." He opens it up, and it was the drying room for all the turtle suits. <laughs> so it was like it was a meat market with turtle parts. You know, so there's arms and torsos and shells <laughs> and legs and heads all hanging on hooks to dry in this like, in this container because it was probably, I think each um, guy had like four suits. Oh, wow. They would wear, so they'd always be rotating because they were always soaking wet. So they put them into these boxes, these, you know, shipping containers so that would get really hot and they just blow air and just keep circulating the hot air and dry the suits out naturally. I can't, I can't say that we smelled too much, but I'm sure if we would have taken a good whiff, wouldn't have smelled too good in there, but it was definitely very creepy. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, in the in the documentary, there's some great footage of you guys getting to visit the set, walk around, and uh, check out the props and stuff. That that must have been, yeah, just an amazing experience, especially meeting Jim Henson. That's awesome. Oh, that was, that was yeah, that was the great thing. I mean, it, it did actually turn into a, a, a much, um, an added bonus. We got to do a show, uh, actually, at Comic-Con in London, and the Creature Shop's there. And um, we got to get a tour of that about a year later. I think when they were in the middle of making the second movie, and they were doing the TV show Dinosaurs, and oh. uh, it was very funny though because here we are in the middle of London. They met us at a coffee shop that was right near our hotel, so we waited in there. And you know, I think it was six or eight of us, and so they had a van, and we get into the van, and they made us put on blindfolds. <laughs> And they drove us to the shop, and then when we got to the shop, we took off the blindfolds, and it was just looked like any street in London, um, just looked like houses or you know nice apartments. What, what you know, and walked in the door, and you'd still you know it wouldn't think it was anything. It was just a little kind of meeting, gathering, little hallway there. But when you opened up the second door, it was just the gut, hole inside was gutted, and it was just a big studio and at the time they were doing dinosaurs like i said they had the brontosaurus neck you know running from one end of the shop to the other end that they were sculpting on they had the baby up on a pedestal and um you know downstairs they had a little muppet area where they had every type of fur and feathers and eyes and anything you wanted to do to make a muppet down but downstairs it's such a crazy crazy place but from the outside it looks like any other building on the street so it Hmm. it was very neat very um Again, surreal to kind of go to something like that, and it really gets your creative juices flowing. That's for sure when you see the talent at those places. Sure, yeah, and just even like looking back at that that movie, even though it's you know 1990, that that movement holds up. That animatronic still looks great. Yeah, the, I mean it, it's pretty incredible. I mean, and again, it's it's really a testament to you know everybody involved. You know, Tom Gray, the producer, he took some chances and. You know, I mean, even though, you know, you get to see those guys in the documentary, but Steve Barron, I remember, you know, Kevin and Pete talking, and um, him giving up upfront money to get some other stuff done, special effects-wise, and, you know, to get an extra scene that they didn't want to do, just gambling on it with his own money, basically, so that they could 
you know, get this next little thing done and get this next little thing done. So I think he had a real strong feeling. And I mean, he really literally took the early Mirage books and, you know, tore them up page by page and kind of storyboarded a lot of the movie with some of that stuff and filled in some of the blanks and, you know, made some of it his own. But, um, it, it, I think that's why the movie does hold up so well. The, the effects were very good and, and great storytelling. Yeah. And it was just really good filmmaking. I mean, I, I have to say, you know, I can still watch that movie the second one as, as much in the third, uh, you know, a little less, but yeah. <laughs> I think I could watch it and I, I feel like a person outside looking in, you know, watching it type of a feeling, you know, where, you detach from it and just enjoy it and think it's a good movie, especially from that time period, because there's a lot of stuff that doesn't hold up from that time period that everybody remembers a little warmer and fuzzier, mm-hmm. you know? And when you rewatch it, you're like, ooh, I'm pretty little bit, but uh, it's still cool, you know? But I, I think with the term movie, it does hold up pretty well. I mean, there are some cringe moments, but for the most part, it's, it really does, it, it, it aged very well. Yeah, definitely. You know, when you're when you're a kid, you know, growing up with this, you don't realize it, but just the the timeline that they came up with issue number one in 1984. Here's a, a toy line and a, a, a cartoon, and, and all you guys at the studio. This is like you know three years later, and then here's just only a couple more years later. We have a, a trilogy of movies. It's just a, it must have been amazing to be in that that uh, that wave of uh, turtle success. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. When you put it all like that, it, it seems, it, it, it does seem like a blink of the eye, but boy, those couple of years seemed like a long couple of years. Although we had a great time, you know. I think everything was going so fast. You know, we're adding new guys to the studio. Um, you know, money was coming in, so things were uh, a lot easier to get done, you know. So, you know, I mean, getting a studio space. I remember the first Mirage studio. Then, you know, we, uh, we got an old factory space, which was... Uh, like a dream space, you know, for for everybody. Unfortunately, right around that time, I think business-wise, Kevin and Pete kept getting pulled away from what they really wanted to do was draw and create and do more of that stuff. And they had to they had to kind of business up a little bit. And uh, for us, it was it was a big playground. You know, we had a big old factory space with um, you know our own individual spaces inside of that, and then common basketball hoop and video games and I mean what you would consider you know a crazy studio space and it worked nicely you know because we'd all have different times where we some people would work a little late some people would come in a little early but we'd always have some together time <laughs> to kind of uh, knock heads and, and play around and see what other people are working on you know which was you know was, was a lot of fun you know at times it was frustrating I think me other people running distraction uh, more than we probably should but we still got this stuff done, and it was that was a cool thing. But I, I always feel like that was the early stages of uh, because of the business. Kevin and Pete were not drawing as much as they wanted to, so when we got them, it was a special treat, you know. And I think at that time, Pete spent a little more time, if you know, coming into that space. And Kevin, I think at that time, was starting to work on what would become Tundra for him. I don't know if that if Tundra was his own publishing company, mm-hmm. uh, which ended up being in the lower part of that very same building. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it was, um, it was interesting to see. I, I kind of feel like, you know, at that point, you know, they were, Kevin and Pete were starting to lose the fun drawing part of it, but it was a different type of fun going on, you know, for them. So, yeah. so uh, where is Mirage located today? Mirage is still at its last location, which is um, on Market Street in Northampton, Mass. It's 
there are some functioning levels. I know Jim Lawson spends some time there. Mike Dooney, um, I believe Dan Berger does. Pete, to a lesser degree, I think he uses it as a. He does a lot of biking, and he has a. He usually keeps a couple of bikes there, so he can get on the bike path in Northampton and bike around. Uh, Gary Richardson, the CEO, is there to a lesser degree now. I think maybe once or twice a week. And Katie McGinnis, who was um, actually she's remarried, so I, I'm saying the wrong name for Katie. Um, uh, she's there probably every other week, just doing some financial stuff. So it's not really a high-functioning space, but Pete owns the building, so he keeps it up and running, and he rents, I think, a couple of the offices out to some other smaller companies, and, you know, the art side is its own side of the building, so, like I said, Jim and Mike and Dan kind of roam the hallways that we all used to kind of run around and create chaos in. Well, that's great that it still lives on. It does. I mean, when I get, to, you know, now that um, Shellback is is uh, I've got two dogs in my studio now, and they're playing. Um, when uh, I, I'm going to start threatening them with more, it's always nice for me, um, you know, to get down there. And, you know, we don't get out as much and do as much, but when we do, it's, it's always fun to get together. And we try to, once a year, bar none, we do a Yankee swap for Christmas at Mirage, which is always a nice thing. And Pete buys way too many gifts, and we end up with a big pile in the middle of the table, and we draw numbers. Uh, have a good meal and laugh and joke and spend a little bit of time together, which is always a, a nice thing at this stage because uh, everyone's life is so busy, you yeah. know, and between families and who knows, <laughs> you know, with everything going on, it's, it's, it's just nice to get that time together. That's great. That's always great to hear. So now you'll, you'll have a little more time for art with the, uh, the store not being a, a brick and mortar entity anymore. And uh, you have a, a variant cover coming out? I do. It's actually, I think, uh, next week, I think. I think the second week in November, I got to do um, this. You know, like everybody has, uh, you know, I always call people turtle nerds with the warmest, kindest affection when I say that <laughs> because I consider myself a Batman the Animated Series nerd. Um, and uh, I had the opportunity, I was asked to do a variant cover. Um, there's going to be a crossover of Batman the Animated Series and the new animated series Turtles. So that was literally the, the call went kind of like, hey, would you like to do a Batman the Anim... And yes, was the <laughs> word that I didn't even know if there was any pay attached to it or what have you. That was just the excitement because the, um, the, the more recent, just before that, there was the more traditional Batman and regular Turtle crossover. Yeah. And I didn't get to do anything on that. I did a, I, I did a print that I sell at shows uh, of the kind of silhouetted turtles running over a rooftop with a bat symbol skyline and uh, that was my only thing I got to play with that like I said uh, the series was it was it and I'm happy to put the four green guys up there with them yeah that's great so that's more of like the Bruce Tim design Batman exactly exactly so that was a lot of fun for me um, I, I just love that that series and even the, the comic you know I, I again by very few you know I, I, I've read a lot of comics I'll buy a series and I, I, I tend to always tell people I'll, I usually will here, it, it's a great story. Awesome, I'll read it. Um, but I'm a visual guy, so I'll see a cool cover and look at the interior, and then, you know, kind of, uh, I'm, I'm a secondary, you know, story guy, more visual guy, so I don't buy a lot religiously, but, you know, that was one of the books that I, um, you know, every month that that would come out, I was buying that, and, 
you know, I can honestly say Gru was another one, which that shows you my taste, my range there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Gru to Batman. Um, and, you know, then I'd fill it in with all the other cool stuff that, you know, you might come across. But, yeah, Batman animated series was my um, my nerddom. I, I actually, if I look over my shoulder, literally turn my head. Um, I'm looking at a lawyer bookcase with a shelf that is just every Batman in the animated series character and the Batmobile and they're all kind of surrounding the Batmobile. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I'm looking at right now. That's awesome. So that's great that you, you get to work on uh, something that's like a turtle crossover with something else that you're just a, a big fan of. Oh, completely. I mean, again, one of the, what the, the it, turtles seem to be the gift that keeps on giving in my life, which is, is, is very nice. And, you know, again, like, um, you know, we talked about earlier, they, they, you know, getting to do cons again, you, you forget, I mean, I've had you as well as many other wonderful people coming to show back, but they were traveling purposefully get there. Um, it's so nice to go to a comic con and just uh, talk to all the turtle fans. And, uh, some of them are there just to see me or one of the other guys, or, you know, they just happen to be walking down the aisle with a turtle shirt. And I just go, I think I drew that, and they go, what? <laughs> and then, you know, I have a little bit of a conversation, and, and um, it, it's just very cool. Like I said, uh, the traveling is nice, and, and out there and meeting everybody and seeing everybody again is, again, another another benefit of these uh, four brothers from the Sua. <laughs> All right, so uh, I won't take any more of your time, but uh, yeah, this this has been great. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join me talking about the, the turtles. This is a dream come true. You know, I mean, you can tell uh, I hate talking about them because we had a miserable time doing them. So. <laughs> no, one thing we, we got to mention uh, before we wrap up is uh, you you have a, a board game in the works. Can you talk about that? One of the cool things, again, uh, back in the, in the days at Mirage, we had an abundance of creative people. So um, we actually formed a toy design group and we had a few properties that... Um, one that almost got out, I don't. Want, I won't go into that at this point, but one of the properties was a board game called Frankenstein's Farm. Um, and it was just it's a traditional board game at the time, uh, being, you know, late 80s, um, very early 90s. All the, everything was video games, so when we pitched this board game, we pitched it to Hasbro, and they loved the game. They, the game plays very well, but they wanted a, a big sculpted sound effect castle or something, you know, to make it interesting for kids at that point. And we just kind of let dismissed it and let it go because we were, we said the game is done if you want the game. So basically it reverted back to the group a couple of years ago. Pete had an auction uh, for anybody that was interested in buying the properties and, the, and uh, Frankenstein's arm was one that I did pick up. And um, in my spare time, once the shop had opened, I've been kind of like, the, the board was never officially done, you know, it was drawn, but not officially, officially painted looking or anything like that. So I've had a lot of fun redesigning all the characters and kind of updating the board and redoing all the art. And I'm about to kickstart it, which I'm very excited to do and uh, really hope we can get it up because uh, I actually played it with my my um, son and his wife and uh, just on a whim, just pulled it out with with my wife and... We had a blast. It took probably, I don't know, an hour and a hour, an hour and a half to play. It seemed like it took that long, and we had a really, really good time. So I, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, we can get it out there and get it to the general public and uh, let them have as much fun as we have with it. Yeah, that's awesome. Look forward to seeing it. We'll, we'll get those links out once they're available. I will pass them on to the world. There'll be, you know, again, right now, um, I'm going to keep the, the Shellback Outworks Facebook page, so any 
big announcements will come out there. I'm hoping to have a website up and running so I can do a little more commerce and, and, and uh, you know, I'm going to be doing some quite a bit more art to put up for sale. Um, uh, Ryan Brown, who I mentioned earlier, we did a lot of licensing stuff. We were talking about doing some, you know, heroes and villain pieces. So it would be one turtle fighting one traditional old villain from the toy line or something. So uh, we're excited. I'm excited to kind of get that up and running. And, uh, you know, I'm going to get the Instagram and Twitter thing going a little bit more on my end. I've, I've let a couple other people run that for me. But I think I'm going to kind of try to do a little bit more with what spare time I do get. And I'm, I'm excited just to be back at the drawing table and hopefully getting more work on, on the green guys from anybody that's doing the stuff. That's awesome. Awesome to hear. And yeah, look forward to seeing uh, all the stuff next. I'm excited to be doing it. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Crossing fingers. If there's a camera, you can see my fingers crossed right now. <laughs> we can all imagine. Yes. Just picture them. You can picture them now. Got them. Good. Okay. <laughs> All right, and that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. So, Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. This was this was great. Always a joy to talk to you. Well, I'll tell you, it was, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I, I, you know, happy, happy, happy to do it. It was, um, like I said, just like being in the store, but over the phone. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Well, we have been Steve Levine and Scott. This has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, my, my last and final word, Scott, will be Kawabunga. <laughs> <laughs>